Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. And I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. said I would do three parts, but there's actually going to be six more. You know what? That sounded about right to me. <laughs> yeah. No, I said this would be three parts. I was a little bit skeptical at first. I really didn't know if I could, you know, tell the story I wanted to in three parts, but I did it. I did it. It's three parts. This is the final countdown. Nice job. Thanks. Great oh. show. <laughs> awesome. okay this is uh yeah part three it's a continuation of the past two weeks episodes which was requested by summer thanks summer thank you thank you for putting me down this rabbit hole (laughs) and um yeah actually lately we have received a few really awesome suggestions which is nice i love to get case suggestions Mm -hmm. and lately i've received a whole bunch and i appreciate it and if you listener right now hey you if you got a case or a topic recommendation please send them to us Hmm. you can send it to me on instagram dark adaptation podcast or you can email it uh dark adaptation podcast at gmail.com you know that cam you know whatever works for you (laughs) little ghouls just do it yeah okay i think that um we should just get right into it because last week ended up being two hours and I don't know, we might be pushing that again. I'm not okay. really sure. So I think that we'll just uh, not waste any time. Let's and just we'll dive just, in. We'll just go bang out this final countdown. You know what? First, I got a few things <laughs> to say. You got to spare like 30, 40 minutes. Okay, let's go. Do listeners. it. Okay. What else do you have? To, okay. Go ahead. I just want to be with you guys. How are oh. you doing? We're just, we're just going to chill for 40 minutes. It's going to be the decompressed zone. <laughs> The hangout with with your boy die with your boy with your boy welcome to my asmr podcast <laughs> kissing the microphone every episode now that's the new thing get your ear holes ready because it's just for you i wonder if they can tell whose kiss is whose yours is so aggressive your microphone <laughs> okay stop it <laughs> that's enough <laughs> I need like Those minutes. kisses are for me. <laughs> 40 minutes alone, Brianna. Okay, I'll leave. <laughs> F- fuck me, right? That's going to be an interesting uh, thing to clean up in post. <laughs> are you going to clean that up? No. <laughs> I was going to say, this. our process is usually we just immediately stop and cut what we were like, whoa. And I don't see you stopping. No, that was all for you listeners. You know what? You are just in a headspace where you're preparing for episode 60. Because that's an episode that you're gonna do, so mm-hmm. you're you're really getting ready to uh, be able to have a takeover. Oh yeah, that one's gonna be an immersive experience with lots of editing. I'm really excited about it, though. Yeah, me too. Um, it would have been faster approaching if I didn't do episode 56 in three parts. Mm-hmm. We would already be at like what episode like 59. Yep. But I had to go ahead and do some responsible storytelling. (laughs) (laughs) 
I appreciate it. I, I appreciate the extra time. Thank you. Um, <laughs> no, I mean that. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, back to what I was trying to say, which was let's not waste any time. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> so, um, I think the best thing to do is start with a recap of what we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. What did we talk about last week? Sorry, I had to take a little sipperoo of my of my uh, Michelob Ultra. <laughs> Michelob, I hate that name, by the way. Well, tastes good. Okay, mm. last week we continued the hiking trip. Uh, Diet Love Group hadn't been heard from. You know, it's not a good thing. The people were starting to worry, and then recovery efforts started. You know, a little search and rescue action, trying to go and find Diet Love Group. Mm-hmm. Then they found the tent. No one was in the tent. Not good. The first two bodies were found, which were Shenko and Krivo, and they were under the cedar tree at the edge of the forest. Mm-hmm. The next bodies that were found were Igor and Zina. They were staggered on the way back to the tent. Then Rustic was found in between Igor and Zina. And once those five were recovered, an investigation into what the hell happened was launched. Autopsy findings... Uh, found that the cause of death for the five was hypothermia. You know, there's skeptics out there because some of the injuries did not add up to just hypothermia being Mm -hmm. the cause of death. We had Shenko with the pulmonary edema and the pulmonary contusion, which was a result of blood force trauma. Mm -hmm. And in his bladder, there was not enough urine that is consistent with someone who's died of hypothermia. Right. Then there was Crivo, who had bit off a piece of his own knuckle and had third-degree burns. Igor was bleeding from his mouth. Zina had a linear bruise on her waist. And she was the only one out of those five that also had a cause of death of hypothermia with accidental violence. Yeah, I remember hating that. Right. Yeah. Because there there was no speculation as to what accidental violence is. Even the premise of accidental it's fucking weird is so suspect right sounds like a safeguarding language sort of yeah it sounds like a it wasn't accidental we're just <laughs> inclined to say it's act. because how would how they know you, that i was just how could you know how would you know it's especially when others are um from just plain violence mm. yeah so this is like accidental violence it's no all the others were, were just, just straight up hypothermia yeah but then she gets with accidental violence yeah and then rustic's head had so much trauma to it Mm -hmm. and he was the one that had that appeared to have fallen when he was still warm because he was on a bed of ice which suggests that you know uh the medical examiner didn't say this i'm just saying that like with the head trauma he probably fell Mm -hmm. and died in the snow like that because he was wearing wearing those fucking felt boots right um i don't think he was wearing felt boots oh one of them was, and they had... One of them was was wearing only one felt boot, and it might have been Xena. Yeah, it might have been Xena. I was going to say that if it wasn't him, it was Xena. But, but they weren't all wearing felt boots. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then after we did the talked about the recovery of those five bodies and their autopsies, the search for the remaining four uh, hikers had to stop for you know a little hot minute because winter in Siberia. Right. And it picked up in May. And then when it started in May, that's when the bodies of Lydia, Thibaut, Coley, and Sasha K were found. And their injuries were way worse than 
the original five that were found. Lydia, she's the one that had major chest fractures, uh, rib fractures, all of that. Tebow had major skull damage, like major, like multiple fractures all over his skull. Mm-hmm. Coley's whole fucking skull was exposed. And then Sasha K had major chest fractures and rib fractures as well. Um, both Lydia and Coley's clothes tested positive for radioactivity. Mm-hmm. And then when we ended last week, I said that I would start this week getting into that, like, you know, investigation that had been going since the first five were found. Yeah. Um, but that's not actually where I'm going to start. I'll talk about the investigation, but I wanted to talk about the funerals first. Okay. So that's where we're going to start with the funerals. Communist Party of the Soviet Union, CPSU for short. Should I cue the shitty flute music? Oh my gosh, shitty fluted. <laughs> Actually, maybe. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's just going to sneak up on you. I'm not even going to tell you when it's going to happen. <gasps> okay, okay, okay. That sounds good. So, at first, the CPSU tried to persuade the parents of the dead hikers to bury their children in Ivdel quickly and quietly for the sake of, quote, party conscience. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Ivdel is that, like, the last major city before they kind of were out in the middle of nowhere towards the Ural Mountains. Mm-hmm. So not the city they're from. No. At all. No. Uh, yeah. So they're like, you know what? Why don't you just, like, you know, kind of just, like, bury them, get it out of the way, you know? Like, you don't want to upset the party, right? Like, this is for the sake of You're party not a traitor, conscience. Are you? you don't want to die, do you? You don't want to be buried in an unmarked grave, huh? Well, actually, now that you said that, the Uh-oh. families... <laughs> should have known. For, for real, though, the families were like, um, no, these are our children. We want to bring them home Yeah. to Sverdlovsk. Like, we don't want to just bury them out here. Like, that's silly. We mm-hmm. want them home. So the families were threatened by the CPSU. There with, it is. With different versions of like reprimand and obviously just guilt tripping about party conscience Mm. um and this was all because you know the families were being obstinate they were like we don't we want them home but even with these threats uh of like reprimand and whatever they did not budge they were like bring our fucking kids home right and the cpsu reluctantly allowed for the bodies to be transported back to sverdlovsk but the CPSU had full control on planning and organizing the funerals. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they wanted it this way so that they could obscure the funeral details because they wanted to try to limit the number of people that were in attendance. They kind of just wanted to do it quickly and quietly the mm-hmm. way that they planned in Ivdel, but they had to bring them home. So bury it. So like not yeah. announce it. Yeah. They wanted to just hush hush. Um, but some flyers quote, managed to escape the censorship <laughs> so valentin yakimienko was a upi student and participant in the search and rescue operations they said quote 
I hung up the announcement of the funerals in the foyer of the main building of UPI. Half an hour later, I was summoned by the party committee of UPI, where the secretary reproached me for disturbance and told me to remove the flyers. I refused, but someone took them anyway. The reaction of the secretary of the party committee is incomprehensible. Evidently, he is afraid of something. End quote. Yeah, it sounds about right. So on March 9th, Yakimienko hung up another announcement about the funerals taking place that day, March 9th, mm-hmm. for Shenko, Krivo, Igor, Zina, and Rustic, which was immediately taken down. I love this guy. <laughs> he gets yelled at for He's like, oh, oh, no, I'm sorry. It caused a disturbance. Also, yeah. I'm not taking it down. I'm going to do it again. Yeah, so someone <laughs> else took it down, so they hung him up again. Yep. And... So, again, they hung them up March 9th. They were taken down. So, you know what they did? What? Uh, Yakimienko, along with a group of UPI students, decided to go to each classroom and tell the students the time and the place of the funerals. That's beautiful. They're Can't like, take that down. Fine, you won't keep our flyers up? What are you going to do? Like, you're going to have to gonna, tackle us down. I thought you were going to tell me they put it really high up. <laughs> I can't reach it. No, they just went to each classroom and was like, hey, this time on March 9th mm-hmm. today, this when the funerals are happening, happening. If you want to like see the procession or be there for the burial, whatever, mm-hmm. like this is it. Because mm-hmm. you're not going to see a flyer because somebody keeps fucking taking them down. Mm-hmm. So truthfully, the fact that the CPSU were trying to keep the funerals on the down low is not surprising. Um, it is the Soviet Union, very communist. This looks bad on the party. Yeah, they didn't, you know, it was normal for them not to talk about catastrophes or any sort of accidents, whatever, social unrest of any kind was like. Because it, it had to be a utopia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it it was, um, if you go against this idea of utopia, it's called ideological diversion. And... <laughs> I'm dead serious. I'm using that phrase. Ideological this week it's, I'm gonna diversion. Use You're going against what Soviet Russia is trying to push out there, which is that Soviet Russia is the best in the world. Nothing bad happens here. We are the best. And to hear about this tragedy where nine like promising people perish, they don't want that. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to just... Sweep it away. Yeah. Nothing to see here. Don't look over here. But despite their their efforts or whatever to like limit interest in the funerals, on March 9th, 1959, the day of the funeral, a crowd of thousands gathered. <laughs> so I don't know if it's maybe because of how much they were trying to push it away that people were even more interested, kind yeah. of maybe backfired. I'm not positive, but I just love that there's people like Valentin Yakimianko who were like no yeah these are fellow students if they were involved in the search and rescue they're probably like if it was me mm-hmm. i wouldn't want people to just sweep my death away and not even attend my funeral and forget about me yeah like fuck you yeah so, and also like i bet they knew i mean there's a lot of stories of like people living in that era who would be like that was the hypocrisy like that was the absurdity of the whole thing was everyone had to abide by these rules but everyone already knew like absolutely this was happening and then and but this is what we had to say about it absolutely plus think about it this is a upi student so it is the these are people who are going to be like engineers um they are the 
the smartest of the smart people. They are mm-hmm. at this very prestigious school. And every engineer listening to this, their head just grew two times its size. Their little <laughs> pinky ring just, <laughs> their pinkies Yeah, with swole. their engineer ring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope everyone understands that one because engineers get these rings. Oh, I thought yeah, that yeah. was just like known. Yeah, if you yeah. graduate with like whatever the fuck in engineering because I'm dumb as shit, I don't know. But you get like a, a ring and engineers always wear it on their pinky. I see yeah. that. I'm like every engineer always. I know like two engineers, but they all yeah. have a pink. They both have a pinky ring. I knew one engineer who said it was the dumbest shit and he wasn't going to buy it. <laughs> and I was like, that's you're the smart one. You're the one that passed. <laughs> okay, regardless though, ego aside to yeah. be an intense engineer in the Soviet Union where That's... you are guided by the country mm-hmm. and put in these places that are like brand new nuclear facilities, whatever the fuck. It's hardcore. It's hardcore. These are smart people. So all this to agree with the point you're making about how like people Name knew what the fuck was going on. Name one engineer during the USSR who made it a mistake with nuclear engineering. Oh my God. Name Just... one. Go ahead. I'll wait. <laughs> I can name one who um, helped cover one up. Ooh. We'll get into it later. All right. So, yes, uh, despite, you know, the authorities' efforts to limit the interest in the funerals, on March 9th, when the funeral for Igor, Zina, Krivo, Shenko, and Rustic happened, thousands showed up. And Yuri Doroshenko and Zina Kolomogrova, who are Shenko and Zina, mm-hmm. they were laid to rest in Mihailovsk. Ooh. <laughs> Mihailovsko Cemetery. The oof is actually part of the pronunciation. Oh, no, that was me just going, God damn it. This is the last part. It's the last of the intense Russian I'm going to have to pronounce. You're doing good. This is, I, can't, I would not be able to get one-tenth of the way through this. <laughs> it's my 2% Russian. <laughs> God, I make myself cringe. Okay. <laughs> Zina and Shenko were laid to rest in Mihailovsko cemetery in a plot designated to upi mm-hmm. and yori krivonashenko mm-hmm. or krivo was laid to rest in ivanovsk ivanovsko cemetery okay and then the next day march 9th igor dietlov and rustin slobidin were laid to rest in Mihailovsko Cemetery, which is the same as Shenko and Zina. Yeah. So that's Igor and Rustic. Okay. So they were all, except for Krivo, they were all laid to rest in the same place. Okay. Fast forward to May. On May 12th, a funeral was held for Ludmila Dubinina, Alexander Kolevatov, mm-hmm. and Nikolai Thibault Brignoli. So okay. Lydia. Coley and Tebow. And that was because they were found later. And that is because they were found later. And also, this funeral happened on May 12th, which would have been Lydia's 21st birthday. And that's my, your birthday. My birthday. Yeah. May 12th. Hello, I'm a Taurus. <laughs> <laughs> to the shock and surprise of absolutely no one. <laughs> um, Actually, my Gemini, my uh, chart is very Gemini heavy, so... Mm. There's that. <laughs> if anyone's wondering, I'm just kidding. I just get into my whole chart. Can I take Dyson's 40 minutes, please? <laughs> I was going to get into it, but I won't. Okay. Straight <laughs> up basic shit. I'm a Taurus son. 
Mm. Okay, so Lydia, Coley, and Tebow were buried in closed coffins, unlike the first funeral, where Shenko, Zena, Krivo, Igor, and Rustic were all buried in open coffins. And be- being buried in an open coffin is the usual practice in Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it literally, you just picture like a straight up coffin that's like a, like the plywood, you know, like something right. fancy. That's yeah. what you'll be buried in, but there's no top to it. And that is standard for when most Russians are buried. But this last group of people. Understandable. Yeah. Because, you know, they, they had been the out in the elements. They were in the water, especially Lydia. Like she was, her head was like basically just a skull. Yeah. I was going to show you pictures. I never did. I think you did. Did I? Did yeah. I? Okay, well, it's creepy. It's upsetting, though. Obviously, I'm desensitized to it if yeah, I don't yeah, remember. Yeah. It's all yeah. the Terrifier movies you made me watch. Whatever. There's only two. I love Art the Clown. It's the head popping scene that did it for me. I'm sorry. All right. Anyway. At least I'm not wearing my new Art the Clown shirt. Yeah, you just put the face over your head and, and then call my name so I look over. <laughs> okay, so I bought a shirt and it has Art the Clown from Terrifier on it. And it has, it's from Terrifier 2 when he's wearing like these crazy sunglasses that have like flowers on them. So it's Art the Clown grinning, wearing these big obnoxious flower sunglasses but he's covered in blood Mm -hmm. and it is the whole front of the shirt so it's this huge creepy art the clown face so when Darson isn't looking I put the shirt over my head and I'll be like this and and then he looks over and it's art the clown just to put it into context and, and how absolutely unfair this is she manages to scare me with her stuffed animals when I'm cooking in the kitchen yeah, so like now she's got this fucking shirt that she could put on and scare the living crap out of me. I'm not even wearing it. <laughs> Stop being so soft, Dyson. Just accept <laughs> my love of Art the Clown. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. <laughs> right. So, Loja, Coley, Tebow are not buried in an open casket. And mm-hmm. like you said, you know kind of makes sense because yeah. their bodies you know, were out there in the elements in a running stream it would be traumatizing for the family exactly yes. so Lydia, Coley, and Tebow were laid to rest in Mihailovsko Cemetery along Shanko, Igor, Zina, and Rustic Sasha Kay's funeral was a few days later um, it was delayed so that his mother could attend the funeral and then he obviously was not a part of UPI, so he wasn't laid to rest in this designated plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was laid to rest in Ivanovsko Cemetery, which is the same place that Krivo was laid to rest. I honestly don't know why Krivo wasn't buried with the rest of the group. Everyone else was buried in Mihalovsko. Mm-hmm. I don't know why Krivo wasn't. Could have been like the request of his parents or whatever, but just interesting i just imagine that his funeral like in life was shrouded in mystery right like honestly if you told me that like nobody showed up except for one lone woman in black who laid one single like daisy on on his coffin i'd 100 percent believe you i'd be like that is oh on sasha k yeah that Mm -hmm. is that is his funeral that makes sense just kind of badass but completely (laughs) completely baffling yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> anyway 
1962, next to their graves in Mihailovsko Cemetery, a memorial mo- monument was erected with pictures of all nine members of Diatolf Group. And mm-hmm. that is still there today. Now, I'll just mention a little bit about Yuri Yudin, because he was the one that left before they actually, Diatolf Group actually went on their full trek through the mountains and stuff. He's the right. one. Sciatic nerve. Yeah, he was sick and or he sciatica. left. Yeah. Really bad side. Honestly, it was a bunch of things, but the sciatica was really bad, so he mm-hmm. had to leave. Um, he, when he returned home and after he attended the funerals and everything, he graduated from the Faculty of Engineering and Economics of UPI in 1960. Okay. He was assigned to work at the magnesium plant in Solokumsk oh, as no, an engineer. That scares the shit out of me. He was. Uh, he took up figure skating as a hobby. So All he right. Figure skated for a lot of his life. With sciatica. Yeah. Damn. In 1993, he switched to work in the administration of the town of Solokomsk as the deputy mayor for economics, and he retired in 1999. And after retirement, he continued to live in Sol. Solikomsk, and he volunteered as head of the city tourist club. Okay. And then he died on April 27th, 2013, at the age of 75 in Solikomsk, and his ashes were buried in Mihailovsko Cemetery next to the Dietlov Group Memorial for the deceased hikers. Okay, honestly, I want to have a beer with this dude. Yeah. That's so cool. And, and then, also, like, he did, he did he fucking did it all. He was like, he did this hiking thing. He's part of this huge story. He, and and then up until retirement, even, he was continuing with the City Tourist Club, which is yeah. all part of, like, the hiking and stuff. So mm-hmm. he was always right there in it. Powered through sciatica and, and did fucking figure skating of all things. Gone into municipal politics, which mm-hmm. I love. That's a hell of a lot of stuff he's done. Yeah. All in the USSR. So holy shit, do I want to have a beer with him. And then and also his entire life just dedicated spare time to, like diving into this to see what happened to his friends and yeah he oh, was wouldn't it drive you insane i mean yeah it would yeah. and and you would always think like why like why me like i made the decision to turn back and then i should have been there with them should have been there with them in this yeah and i hope he saw himself as lucky and not as like survivor's guilt because that's really what it is i think he definitely could see that he was not so much lucky but definitely very appreciative of the fact that this wasn't his fate Mm -hmm. but definitely had survivor's guilt because he did you know just stay like elbows deep into this yeah always like he's a part of it he Mm -hmm. just to the point that he was buried next to the memorial his ashes were buried next to the memorial nice and then uh just a little fun fact before Yuri Yudin had left the Dyes Love group on that day when he had his sciatic nerve issues, um, Lugia had actually given him this little stuffed teddy bear to keep, mm-hmm. and he kept it his entire life. That's fucking adorable. I know. Yeah. And it was like his little prized possession, and he would show it off to people, and just it was so special to him, and he, he kept it all mm. the way up until the day he died. That's actually really beautiful. It's very cute. Yeah. Do you like horror movies? 
Do you like hanging out with your friends? Do you like having a laugh? Do you like podcasts? Well, you should check out our podcast, Spoils of Horror. We're not a review show. We're a horror movie hangout where we talk about movies that are lost, forgotten, popular, and bizarre, all in the scary realm. You can listen to our podcast while you're doing just about anything. You could be washing your dishes. You could be washing your cat. You could be washing your genitals. (laughs) (laughs) All forms of genitals accepted. (laughs) We are a fully inclusive genitalia show. Yes. We are the number one ideal podcast for washing your genitals. Our genital Yelp reviews are unsurpassed. Five and a half stars. (laughs) You don't want to know where that half came from. uh... (laughs) Now that you know that, check us out on all major platforms. You can search for Spoils of Horror on all social media sites. Come and hang out with us. We'd love to see you. And your genitals. (laughs) Bye. A criminal investigation into what happened to Dyatlov Group was led by Prosecutor Lev Ivanov and had been ongoing since the discovery of the first five bodies. The investigation was originally considered to be criminal because there was this initial speculation that Manzi people had attacked and murdered Dyatlov Group for encroaching on their sacred land. So they were going for like the hills have eyes prosecution more or less Uh, well i don't know if it was that intense but (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know what i mean right like the the like people in the secluded area Mm -hmm. of of this community was well known about and they did it and that right so several manzi were interrogated but they were ruled out because a the local tribesmen were known to be very peaceful and b the forensic examination of the bodies was not consistent with this like vicious attack and murder. Yeah, it was fucking ruthless from what from what the autopsies and everything were saying. And also, I have another theory about it, and it's absolutely not these these people who like would just be an easy scapegoat. So, mm-hmm. yeah. right. Also, like if you were viciously like attacked and murdered by people who were upset that you're encroaching on their land, whatever. It just doesn't fit because the autopsies of the body showed that there was no soft tissue damage, which would be there if you were, like, beaten and murdered and stuff. Mm-hmm. It just, it wouldn't make sense. No. Uh, like, even even outside of the scope of, like, soft tissue damage and, and that, like, encroaching on land is, like, not a incentive for, like, a ruthless murder. Like Of like, nine people in an are, area that's supposed to be commonly hiked. And who are not destroying the land in any way they're just walking Mm -hmm. through it Mm -hmm. like if if these were like miners or something and suddenly some of the like miners started showing up dead and then i'd be like okay well then there's incentive but no Mm -mm. so criminal investigation seized the inquest into the hiker's death investigation hikers what the inquest into the hikers death investigation concluded (laughs) yeah (laughs) i wrote that weird and ivanov said quote the cause of their demise was an overwhelming force which the hikers were not able to overcome end quote jesus what the fuck what am i supposed to take out of that right and that was the conclusion I swear to God, that there's all of, this overwhelming force that the hikers couldn't contend with. All, all of the like 
in all of this investigation where like the authorities are supposed to put, be putting out clear, concise statements and they aren't, they're like obscu- obs- obfuscating the facts. Like this just screams government cover up to me. I agree. Like, like, uh, and it's USSR, right? So it, it doesn't have to be like the government did it. Like the government came in and like, is that what I'm saying mm-hmm. is like an accident or, um, some sort of wrongdoing ha- had occurred and, the government being what it was tried to hide it to be like no this was just a an accident it was their fault it was simple hikers accident it had nothing to do with you know any kind of like government doings so yeah i won't go too much into detail because i do have a bit of a theory Mm -hmm. um but other than that like i just think they're trying to hide a I understand what you're saying. Plus, it kind of falls in line with how even, for example, with the funerals, how the USSR, the Communist Party, they wanted to to handle it. They didn't even want people to really know or ask questions or whatever because they don't want to ruin that reputation of Mm -hmm. Soviet Russia being this beautiful, perfect utopia. Nothing bad happens in Soviet Russia. And like the other thing, too, about this is like, I don't know, like. I feel like, okay, here you have a bunch of hikers who are trying to push the boundary well whether they knew it or not like they were trying to push the boundaries for hiking for exploration and stuff mm-hmm. oh for think- sure this is this was a very intense yeah hike you'd think that they would almost see an a clear out from a propaganda view of almost galvanizing these people as like f- daring to go to the frontier daring to to try and um, explore the unexplored. Mm-hmm. And that's the Russian way. That's the USSR way. Mm-hmm. And that they're heroes for having fallen in that pursuit. And like that could have been a very easy out. And the fact that they're not taking it to me seems very suspect. Oh, that's such a good point. It just seems like, I don't know, man. Like it, it just doesn't seem right. It seems like that was so obvious, but they don't want to, to do that would be to bring it to a level of awareness that could easily be scrutinized and they just refused to allow for that. Mm-hmm. So instead they went with the cause of their demise was an overwhelming force, which the hikers were not able to overcome. Yeah. Just absolutely sowing confusion and, the whole way. And that was the conclusion that people had to accept. Mm-hmm. And it is the conclusion that people accepted for a while. Mm-hmm. And then starting in the 1980s, There was renewed interest in this case, and that renewed interest was picking up. And by the 1990s, various books and articles had been published that speculated on what happened to Dietzloff Group. And 56 years after the incident, in 2015, a review of the evidence from the original 1959 investigation was conducted at the request of the hikers' families. And it was led by experienced investigators from the Investigative Committee of the Russian Federation, the ICRF. I'm shocked that they did this. So the ICRF investigators got to work and they started with the weather conditions that Love Group was facing on that night. And they confirmed that the weather on the night of the tragedy was very harsh. There was wind speeds up to hurricane force. So... 45 to 67 miles per hour or 72 to 108 kilometers an hour. Okay, so that's, that's pretty windy. 
so windy. Yep. There was a snowstorm and temperatures were reaching minus 40 degrees Celsius, which is I also was, minus 40, 40 degrees Fahrenheit. I was in um, on the mountain in uh, Blackcomb, which is right next to Whistler. Mm-hmm. Like it, like um, Whistler Mountain is the mountain. And there's people don't realize that um, there's actually two mountains side by side and Blackcomb's right next to it. Mm-hmm. And I think Blackcomb's actually taller. But I was going up the gondola one time and the winds, as I was checking, I was looking up at the screen on base camp, kind of like, uh, I'm calling it base camp. Everyone in Vancouver probably just rolled their eyes at that. Mm-hmm. But like the, the, the first section where you can go up the hill and um, you take the gondola and it's a stand up gondola. Everyone walks in. And I remember walking up to it and I looked at the screen and it said over 100 kilometer an hour Whoa. winds. And I got stuck in that. And let me tell you, that's not, that's not a fucking joke. You do not want to be in there. One, it was so fast they had to stop the gondola and then go and then stop. And they were trying to obviously do it in between like gusts, I guess, or something mm-hmm. to get people off the fucking thing. And I was stuck in there and the thing was swinging. Is this why you puked in your helmet? I puked in my helmet with my brand new <laughs> goggles that i just got because <laughs> my brother got like new ones so i got his hand-me-downs which were really cool oakley's um. and anyway uh on the way down because you had to get back down you had to obviously snowboard back down the snow isn't soft anymore it's fucking shards of glass in your face Good like god it would cut your face up so like when i look down ski patrol would be on their um uh uh, skidoos or whatever the fuck they are right and they'd be trying to um snowmobile snowmobile sorry i always mix it up but they would be going back down and like legitimately like i saw one get hit by a fucking branch whoa and he had to like pull over readjust to get back on the fucking thing when i went down we had to as a group go down and we all had to like drop and hit the hit the deck and just cover your cover your face uh, with your with your forearms so that the snow wouldn't hit you in the face because it fucking hurt and that is not something that you'd want to be exposed to for more than 10 minutes oh so anyway that's to put the wind speed and conditions into context for you that's wild yeah it's fucked up man it was really really fucked up snow turns into a weapon it's sharp man it's just like imagine imagine hail going sideways no. That's what it felt like. No, thank you. Yeah. I don't want to be in that. Mm. That's basically what uh, Dyatlov Group was in, apparently, according to the ICRF investigators. Ugh. So these harsh elements, which were the hurricane force winds, the snowstorm, and the low temperatures, played a critical role in the events of the tragic night, uh, which was reconstructed as follows. So on February 1st, the group decides to camp out on the eastern slope of Kolitsikal without any natural barriers in this harsh weather. The group, which had traversed this mountain slope, had dug into the snow to make a tent site, Mm -hmm. and this ultimately weakened the snow base. During the night, the snow field above the tent started to slide down slowly under the weight of the new snow, gradually pushing on the tent, starting from the entrance. So the group wakes up. They worry that an avalanche is imminent, and they start evacuation. 
with the entrance being blocked from the snowfield sliding down, Mm -hmm. the group escapes through cutting a hole in the tent, and then they descend the slope to find a place perceived as safe from the imminent avalanche, which is that forest border that they had migrated to. Mm -hmm. Because some members of the group are poorly clothed, the group splits up, and Xena, Igor, and Rustic attempted to climb back up the slope to go to the tent, possibly to get sleeping bags or more clothes, whatever. Ultimately, Shenko and Krivo die under the cedar tree. And then the remaining four hikers, Sasha K, Thibaut, Kohli, and Lydia, are equipped with warmer clothing because they've taken it from Shenko and Krivo. And they try to build a better camping place down slope um, into the forest. Mm-hmm. And their bodies were found 70 meters from the cedar tree under several meters of snow with traumas indicating that they had quote fallen into a snow hole formed above a stream okay so that is the reconstruction of events that the icrf gave and according to the icrf investigators the factors contributing to the tragedy were extremely bad weather and a lack of experience of the group leader in such conditions, which led to the decision to camp in a very dangerous place, which was a mountain slope. And then after evacuating the campsite, the next mistake was splitting up. Rather than building a temporary camp down in the forest and trying to survive through the night together. Mm-hmm. So that's what they said. Yeah. Was, as they reviewed the evidence, that's what they said happened. So it took them a few years to review everything and come to this conclusion. So by 2019, the ICRF had finished their review and they had concluded that a, quote, compelling natural force had caused the nine deaths. Mm -hmm. So with this, Russian authorities reopened the investigation into the incident in February 2019. And although only three possible explanations were being considered that fit a compelling force of nature. Or a compelling natural force, however you want to say it. Right. And those three possible explanations were an avalanche, a slab avalanche, or a hurricane. What's the difference between an avalanche and a slab avalanche? Or slab avalanche? An avalanche is like what you would stereotypically think of uh, with an avalanche. Just big puffy snow Mm -hmm. coming down. It's terrifying. It's like a big wave. Mm -hmm. Okay slab avalanche would be not as intense it's more of like on the slope of a mountain you have essentially a sheet of resting snow Mm -hmm. and something sort of interrupts it sitting there that allows it to just slide down so like the like mudslide equivalent like if you were looking at mudslides how the earth just shifts forward basically yeah so all of whatever is already resting there something interrupts that and it it slides downhill Mm -hmm. that's terrifying i hate that more yeah because that that sounds very heavy right (laughs) that sounds that sounds like that's just gonna crush you so those are the three sort of explanation that the russian authorities were going to explore as to what the cause was based on the icrf's review of everything Mm mm-hmm On July 11th, 2020, 
Andrei Kuryakov, who was deputy head of the Urals Federal District Directorate of the Prosecutor General's Office. Uh-huh. That wasn't a mouthful. He announced the investigation had concluded and the official cause of death for the Dyatlov group was a combination of factors. Catabatic winds and a weakening of the mountain snow during the pitching of the tent leading to a catastrophic slab avalanche. Oh. So, catabatic winds. Uh-huh. That is winds that flow downhill and are usually caused by gravity pulling higher density air downslope to lower density air. Okay. They this these, sounds like it should never happen ever. Right. So these winds are very rare. Yeah. And but they can be extremely violent when they do happen. And then a slab avalanche, as you had asked, is where a compacted block of snow slides down a slope when the underlying weaker snow layer gives way. Okay. So the investigation concluded because of these factors, the catabatic wind and the slab of snow the group was forced to suddenly leave their camp in low visibility conditions in inadequate clothing and they died of hypothermia catabatic winds theory was supported by witness statements in notes from the original investigation so for example you had this one dude who said quote I live in the village in Visay since 1951 and don't remember such winds like they were in the beginning of February 1959. Mm -hmm. So this guy had said like, whew, the winds were out of control. Yeah. At the time they would have been camping on the mountain. Okay. So apparently the snow slab would have made these loud cracks and rumbles as it slid and ultimately fell across the tent making an avalanche seem imminent to the Dyatlov group. So the investigation and the review of all the evidence showed that everything the group did after the avalanche scare was textbook. They conducted an emergency evacuation to ground that would be safe from an avalanche. They took shelter in the woods, they started a fire, and they dug a snow cave. Okay. And that was the investigation. Textbook. Everything Dietlov Group did was textbook. You know, uh, an avalanche seemed like it was going to happen. So they evacuated their campsite and, mm-hmm. you know, didn't make it. Hey, you know, it wasn't textbook. Mm-hmm. Um, the ways they were found. Right. <laughs> and all the fucking trauma that was inflicted to their bodies. That does not sound textbook still. So and that- it also sounds inconsistent. That brings us into the contradictory evidence of the slab avalanche theory. Mm -hmm. So there's uh, a few things. Uh, The big thing is that a slab avalanche. A slab avalanche. Slab avalanche. (laughs) (laughs) It relies, this theory of a slab avalanche. Jesus. Yeah, that's got you now. This theory of a slab avalanche relies on the tent being set up right up against the ridge of the mountain Mm -hmm. so that the snow slid into it and scared them. Yeah. That is not the case. If you look at photos, which I did post one photo on Instagram that shows where the tent was set up Mm -hmm. based on how rescuers found it, this tent was not pitched right against the ridge. 
where this slab would have started to slowly creep its way onto the tent and scare them. Mm-hmm. That's just not the case. The tent was not set up that way. Yep. There's also a lack of physical evidence that a slab av- avalanche <laughs> actually happened because the tent wasn't completely buried by this snow that made its way down. That's immediately what I started thinking about. And the tent wasn't demolished. It's It's clearly sitting there. The only thing about the tent is that it wasn't found for a few weeks. And in fact, it had a flashlight standing upright exactly and then there was that ski that was upright next to it Mm -hmm. that nothing had happened to it the only thing is that there was a bit of snow accumulation because it had been a couple weeks and there was snow yep uh this theory also does not explain like you said dyson the very traumatic injuries that were found on the bodies of the hikers Mm -hmm. then there was the fact that there's all these footprints leading away from the tent towards the woods that one aren't buried and two they're not consistent with people that are fleeing out of fear of an avalanche they were very much in a line of like people who were walking very normally then people who you know experts or whatever in these like catabatic winds and all of that they say that based on where the mountain is and the position of the tent and all of this the wind blowing over the ridge of the mountain ha- actually has the effect of blowing snow away from the edge of the ridge, not in a way that would build it up. So it's blowing away the snow, which would reduce this buildup of like mm-hmm. this imminent slab avalanche. Yeah. Uh, it, this theory also does not explain why they left without their clothes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they weren't wearing any sort of their warm clothes in the tent. There's like all these parkas and stuff. The theory also does not explain why an experienced group would split up. So they're saying in their theory that, like, you know, everything that this group did was textbook. They conducted an emergency evacuation. They took shelter in the woods. They started this fire. And they're, like, praising them for being so experienced. Okay, then why would they split up? Yeah. Which is 101, don't do that. You stay together. As soon as you say that you're leaving or splitting up or I'll be right back, whatever, yeah. <laughs> that's a no-no. Yeah, that's that's the end of you. So that's another contradic- contradiction. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, it this theory does not explain this bizarre positioning of Lydia, Thibault, Coley, and Sasha Kay in the stream. So they're saying whatever that they like, the review says that they fell into a snow hole. How did they all fall perfectly in these positions of like spooning each other and like laying perfectly across the stream and Lydia yeah. being all weird and propped up? The only thing that I can like to their defense for like a snow hole is like if it's anything like what trees do in fresh snow, if you get um, if you go near a tree when it's like very fresh snow, especially on like a mountainside, these trees have their like foliage essentially blocking the snow coming straight down at its trunk so what you get is this um convex concave 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 um kind of circle and it gets very very deep and if you fall into it you actually are it's actually very hard to get out i've i've fallen in it once and it fucking subtly took like two people to get me out and it's like if especially if it's fresh snow you you kind of are just stuck in the center Mm -hmm. and because it's fresh no you can't climb out of it but it's so like if they're saying like oh well like a snow hole 
like a stream snow hole. Mm. <laughs> like they just mean like they simply fell into the stream, which was hard to get out of because of the fresh snow. Then I can be like, okay, that makes some sense. Whiteout conditions, slipping down the bank of it. You can't get up that bank because it's fucking every time you grab at the side, it's fresh snow. It gives way. But all of them fell into it. This all of them <laughs> fell into it. Yeah. And then they positioned themselves like that. I don't know. Especially because like three of them were like hugging each other. It makes sense to try and heat up. But you're in the water. You're That is not going to help. And you would know that. Also, and yeah, the stream of running water is just because it was into May. So stuff mm-hmm. was thawing. Yeah. It was the freezing Siberian mountains in February when they would did fall in. Yeah. I don't think it was so much this running stream. Yeah. But then um, the other per- uh, the, the other woman was like resting up along the lip of it. So, I mean, like, I don't know. I It doesn't seem right. I just feel like you had to uh, really limber up a lot in order to stretch that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So, obviously, there's a lot of people that do not agree that Diatlov group all died of hypothermia because they evacuated the campsite to avoid an oncoming avalanche. Uh, just based on everything we already know, the positions of the bodies and these things that don't add up of like, oh, this group was so experienced, but they split up or all four of the last people found in May fell into a snow hole and died that way. You know, there's just a few things that people don't like about this slab avalanche theory Mm -hmm. and they don't think that that's actually what happened. So of course, the next question is, what actually happened then? And I mean, I, I I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened, but there is a shit ton of theories out there. All right. And these theories include things from natural, criminal, and paranormal theories. But I've chosen the most, like, popular theories that are out there, the most likely explanations um, for us to discuss. Because mm-hmm. I when I say there's a shit ton, there's literally, like... 2030 oh everyone and their mom probably has a theory on what happened so if we literally went into all of them this would be another two three parts yeah (laughs) so we're just gonna kind of talk about the most popular and likely explanations and then after i kind of bang them out dyson i'll ask you about what you think all right can't wait sound good Theory one. The infrasound theory. Donnie Eicher wrote a book in 2013 called Dead Mountain, where he suggests that the wind going around Coletzikal created a Carmen Vortex street, which is a repeating pattern of swirling vortices, and this can create and produce infrasound capable of inducing panic attacks in humans. Iker states a Carmen Vortex Street caused physical discomfort and mental distress in Dietlov Group, and because of their panic, they were driven to leave the tent and flee down the slope. Okay. 
by the time they were further down the hill, they were out of the infrasound's path and regained their composure, but they were unable to return to their campsite. The traumatic injuries suffered by some of the hikers were the result of their stumbling over the edge of a ravine in the darkness and landing on the rocks at the bottom. Iker believes it is the only logical explanation for the situation in which the bodies were found. I love when there's theorists and they, they're like, this is the only logical explanation. And, and then I'm they get the out one of, to have it. And then they step to the side and then another guy comes up and he's got his theory and he's mm-hmm. like, this is the only logical explanation. Exactly. Yeah. So that's theory one. Okay. Theory two, the Yeti theory. The idea that the group was killed by a Yeti is based on two things. One, a group, a group, nope. (laughs) (laughs) A photo taken on Tebow's camera, which shows a quote, dark humanoid figure near a tree. And two, a satirical propaganda newspaper that Dijlov group wrote during the expedition, which contained the line, quote, the Yeti lives in the northern Urals near Mount Atorton. Okay. So the newspaper that they put together is a joke. It mm-hmm. is a satirical propaganda. It's them just making light of literally the situation that they live in. Right. But the stories written in this satirical propaganda newspaper were exaggerated accounts of things that they had actually did and really went through. Mm-hmm. So the satirical entry about the Yeti must have been inspired by That's real sighting of the creature. not at all the satire in the piece. <laughs> That's the serious part. So people are like, well, everything else they've written kind of parallels real things. So if they wrote about a Yeti, then that means that the sighting of the creature is true and the Yeti stalked and eventually killed the entire group. Okay. So like I said, the first thing that sort of supports this theory basis is the photo that was taken on Tebow's camera. Mm -hmm. So Dyson, I will show you the photo and everyone listening, this will be on Instagram. I'm at the edge of my seat because I can't imagine what kind of humanoid figure would be out with them. Okay, that's the photo. So I want you to... looks like a person. I want you to describe what you're seeing. I am seeing a man wearing a jacket and pants, which I can (laughs) tell because of the two (laughs) shades of color and a toque. Okay, so Dyson is much more practical than most people that see this photo. <laughs> if, if if you were a little bit more capable of suspending your reality, do you think that looks like a Yeti? Yes, it has the like stereotypical Bigfoot pose. That's 100% him. Okay, okay so now person. what I'm doing is I'm going through the camera roll. So the photo of the supposed Yeti is photo number 17 in Tebow's camera roll. Mm-hmm. So if we go past 17 back through number 16 and 15. Yeah. 15 is, um. what do you see? The exact same coloring of a person lying clearly in the snow. Like, you can see his face is well detailed. And then photo 16. Um, same person, same coloring of jacket, same coloring of pants, um, with his hands on his knees, I think, kind of leaning over like he's looking down at a hole in the ground. And he's getting up out of the snow. 
Yeah, he's like he's getting up, yeah. And then photo 17, which is the supposed photo of a Yeti. The exact same person standing uh, on a trail, clearly trying to walk down a path. And the photograph is blurry this time. Right. Yeah. Also, holy shit. I'm always surprised when old photographs, I always forget how well detailed they are. Yeah, photos from the 50s especially, which are all black and white photos. But mm-hmm. So I think it's important that I showed you those photos because people do not ever... People who cover this case or however you want to put it, they just solely rely on that one photo I showed you, which looks like a, it's out of focus. It's a very blurry photo. It was Mm -hmm. obviously taken quickly. And there is a a person, obviously, in the background. And it is an odd position. It's kind of them standing upright, but leaning forward and holding onto a tree or something. It looks like what you'd imagine your friend looks like as they're getting up from an embarrassing fall in the snow. Right. But people heavily rely on this one photo and this one photo only. Mm -hmm. But I've seen all of the photos from everyone's camera roll there. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was in Diet 12 group. And that's why I wanted to show you the preceding photos to this one because it does very much look like the person that has fallen in the snow it's and is getting up and maybe the person who took the photo pushed them into the snow so they're kind of like running away Mm -hmm. and like haha like oops sorry you fell in the snow haha and they turn around snap a photo of them getting up yeah like guys just to be clear like it's a slightly blurry photo so you can't see their face too well but like they're clearly wearing a jacket you can see the line yeah on their torso from where the jacket ends and the and you clearly and you clearly saw that before I even showed you yeah. the progression of the photos. Yeah. And then you can see that they're wearing gloves because the gloves are darker than the jacket color. So they're obviously wearing that. And then the next photo you basically just see like exactly that in detail now. Yeah. So it's kind of wild to me that obviously someone just got this one photo right. and was like it'd be really fun to make this mm-hmm. a story. To be like, this is the one photo in the entire camera roll that's out of focus. Seems to be have seems to have been taken from a distance. It looks like they snapped something they saw out in the woods. That's creepy. Yeah, what gets me though is like it's not even like, you know, like if I was a Yeti fan, I'd be upset because this is low tier Yeti kind of shit. Yeah. Also, isn't the Yeti supposed furry. to? Have, I was gonna say, isn't the Yeti supposed to have been like white or gray fur? Yeah. If this is the case of being a Yeti, then they look just like a Bigfoot. Yeah. Which is like, and like a, a really a like a really cousin. runty Bigfoot at that too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Theory three: the KGB agents theory. Sasha K, Coley, and Crevo were working for the KGB and joined the Diet Love Trek to conduct a mission where they were to hand over some radioactive materials and fake nuclear secrets to American CIA agents up in the Ural Mountains. <laughs> While handing over the goods, Sasha K, Coley, and Crevo were supposed to take photos of the Americans, but the CIA agents got wise to what was going on, leading to a fight and the eventual massacre of the Dietolf group. You know, leave no witnesses. So, like, slappers from Goldeneye occurred <laughs> in the mountains. In the Ural Mountains. <laughs> so. 
Yeah. If you believe in this theory, uh, it explains why Saucer K was so secretive about his identity and, you know, kind of seemed to lie about weird things. Mm-hmm. And it's because he was a KGB agent. And then Crevo was employed with the military, which is true. He was. So maybe he secretly worked as a KGB agent. And then maybe Coley didn't actually go to Moscow to specialize in glass blowing. He was training to become a KGB spy. Okay. And then this theory also explains the radiation on some of the hikers' clothing because they were handing over, you know, radiation uh, materials, radioactive materials. That is the most Russian theory I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. It is the it is honestly like it, just leave it to them to be like no 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 radiation nuclear whatever KGB let's hit it all. I can see them being like Sasha K. That guy has something going on. It's mysterious. <laughs> whatever you call cool. him. Didn't you call him Agent K? <laughs> Agent K. <laughs> I can see it, man. That guy had like the mystique for like a Russian Bond. It was dope. He's got the little uh, wax curled mustache and I everything. Know. But the, it's the most Russian thing ever to include that, like the, the radioactive stuff, this huge, like, complex mission that they're on. And then also that a guy who was ex-military didn't have some, like, grunt, boring military job. No, no, no. We don't have that in Russia. We have KGB agents. Yeah. And then glass blowing. No, that sounds a little too... You know, so we're just going to make that a uh, KGB agent. He's training to become a spy in Moscow. Yeah, like, oh, glass blowing isn't intriguing me at all. That's just, uh, right. So now it's got to be like its own like Mission Impossible times three. Yep. All right. So that's the KGB agent theory. But then there's also a spinoff of the KGB agent theory, which mm-hmm. involves only Crevo. KGB Cody Banks. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So Crevo, who truly was employed by the military, is part of this espionage theory. So remember that in part one of the series, I had mentioned that in August 1958, Crevo had tried to resign due to, quote, utmost reluctance to work in this system. But he was refused. Mm-hmm. Well, he was directly involved in the elimination of the consequences of the accident in MPA in 1957. And this is referring to the Kishtim disaster. Okay. So the, the Ki- Kishtim disaster. The Kishtim disaster. Kishtim. Which is right the- on the lips. <laughs> <laughs> so the Kishtim disaster is the second worst nuclear incident in Russia by radioactivity released okay it's second only to chernobyl chernobyl disaster which is a very fucking high bar yes yeah so in kishtim this was a radioactive contamination accident that occurred on september 29th 1957 Mm -hmm. when an improperly stored underground tank of high level liquid nuclear waste exploded contaminating thousands of square kilometers of land and the disaster was covered up, and few were aware of the full scope of the disaster. Now, this is not part of, like, the creepy theory. Like, this is all true. This yeah. happened. And that checks out. Yeah. Yes. And then because of the secrecy surrounding the disaster, 
the populations in the affected areas were not initially informed of the accident. So some places were eventually evacuated days and weeks later without an explanation as to why they were being evacuated. But then other surrounding areas weren't evacuated for months and even a year in some locations. Okay. And in other locations, they were not evacuated until two years later. Oh, God. So we really only know details about the Kishtim disaster Mm -hmm. because starting in 1989, a few years after the Chernobyl disaster, the Soviet government was just gradually declassifying certain documents pertaining to the Kishtim disaster. Okay. So at the end of 1958, going back in time, Mm -hmm. Krivo was allowed his discharge order that he had signed or had requested. They did sign it. Mm -hmm. And he was moved to a new workplace where he was supposed to start on January 21st. But he took another leave, an additional days off. And that's when he decided to spend it hiking instead. This is all like going back to part one. Mm -hmm. So this theory about the espionage type deal is that the KGB or the military or some other sort of special forces was worried that Krivo was going to spill the beans about the Kishtim disaster and you know spill the beans become some sort of liability and so they took him out when he was up in the mountains but you know whatever happened it went haywire leading to the death of the, the rest of the group so that's a lot i know and it's it's um it is a lot because this kishtim disaster actually happened mm-hmm. and it is confirmed in one source or another that Krivo was working in these places he was a part of this mm-hmm. so it's either like totally feasible that he could have been taken out because they didn't want him to talk about it or it's so easy to say it's a hundred percent easy to say. And here's my other thing I would say to that. Um, your big tell would be that everyone who was involved in that project is mysteriously <laughs> dead. So unless everyone got wiped out from that fucking disaster involved in that odd choice of a theory. I will agree with you because when it comes to situations like this, where you are sort of, you know, for the sake of party conscience, told to keep this stuff under wraps in a lot of cases you are told to sign sign like an nda or something like that Mm -hmm. where you just you're saying you won't talk about it yeah or it comes down to this to the stakes of you know you were put through school because of us the communist party and you were employed through this nuclear facility or the military or whatever the case is at the sake of the communist party Mm -hmm. and you kind of owe us so don't go fucking blabbing your mouth yeah. And that works in a lot of cases. It really that does. or signing an NDA or whatever. So it is a little bit obscure to be saying <laughs> yeah. that they were worried he would talk. And if everyone else involved in this situation, it's not like it was just Crevo. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a, a little lot. bit absurd. And but. also if they really thought like they would have gone about it a little bit more differently, one, they probably would have just arrested him. They would have just taken him in and he would have just disappeared off the face of the earth. You're not going to take out eight other innocent people. Or if they were like, he's too high profile, uh, his parents would have disappeared. Mm. Like, it's just, they they were bad at this, but they weren't that bad at this. 
I gotcha. Yeah. I think we're on the same page with this theory. Yep. Theory four, the UFO slash military weapons theory. Earlier, I had mentioned that by the 90s, there was various books and articles published that speculated on what happened to Dyes Love Group. Well, this wave of interest brought people forward that had previously remained silent. And one of those people was Lev Ivanov. Mm. He was the lead investigator in 1959. Okay. In 1990... Lev Ivanov published a sensational article (laughs) where he wrote about how the investigation team had no, quote, rational explanation for the incident or the hiker's deaths. And he claimed he'd been, quote, ordered to censor some of his findings. Oh, you couldn't tell at all with that man. Right. (laughs) So he stated that his team of investigators had reported seeing flying spheres of light and other weird phenomenon over the Ural Mountains. And when he told his superiors about the flying spheres, he received direct orders from, quote, high-ranking regional officials to dismiss the claims and not mention it again. And then, like, internally, their higher-ups were like, this man's never seen a fucking military flare before? Jesus (laughs) Christ. (laughs) So Lev Ivanov was also told to censor some of the information that he had written about some unusual char marks on trees near where the bodies were found, which in Ivanov's view, quote, confirmed a source of heat ray. Another quote from Ivanov says, quote, based on the evidence gathered, the role of UFOs in this tragedy was quite obvious, end quote. Mm -hmm. And whether he's referring to aliens or experimental Soviet weapons, I mean, who knows, but, Basically, they're just unidentified because he couldn't get an answer from them. And it was just straight up told to censor what he's writing. Yeah, never mind the heat rays. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) something that's very interesting is that another group of hikers that was about 50 kilometers or 31 miles south of Dyatlov Group reported that they saw strange orange spheres in the sky to the north on the night of the incident. Similar spheres were also observed in Ivdal. And adjacent areas continually from March, sorry, from February to March 1959 by various independent witnesses, including the Meteorology Service and the military. Mm. So they were seeing these strange orange spheres, spheres and this like random other group of hikers that was south of Dietlov group on the night, February 1st, that all this happened to them. They were seeing the same creepy, weird, glowing spheres in the sky Mm -hmm. that all these other investigators were also seeing, but were told to, like, basically shut the fuck up, don't talk about them, don't even write about them. Right. So, definitely interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. I love a good alien story, but I feel like... It doesn't have to be alien. We don't know. Or, like, yeah, UFO theory and stuff, but, like, he was also the guy that was, like covering up everything that he kept finding i mean so, like, maybe he to was told he's... to though this goes in the in line of that yeah but like who's to say this guy's trustworthy at all who is trustworthy at all in soviet union that's true <laughs> <laughs> theory five military tests 
It's believed the campsite was in the area of a Soviet weapons and military testing site. The weapons could have been nuclear, which explains the weird behavior of people involved in the recovery of the bodies in May. So, what's this weird behavior? Yeah, what is this weird behavior? So, Colonel Orchikov, if you'll remember, is the guy who was like really easily identifying all of the bodies Mm -hmm. and had seen like this little notebook or journal or whatever that was in Sasha K's hand and he was the one who like just grabbed it and was like oh damn nothing to see here (laughs) yeah yeah. so that guy yep he and some other soldiers that were volunteering looking for the bodies once they were found they were responsible for taking the frozen bodies of Lydia Thibault Coley and Sasha K from the stream They carried them up the bank, placed them on stretchers, dragged them through the snow and up to the pass to the helipad where the helicopter met them. Mm. But the pilots refused to take the bodies on board, complaining it was, quote, outside their official duties. So Orchikov was pissed off. Mm -hmm. They had just lugged these heavy frozen bodies all the way from the stream. So he ended up sending a radiogram about it being this huge scandal, how... As a communist, he was outraged and asked the communist party leader to be informed about their, you know, uh, refusing orders. And then the medical expert on scene refused to examine the bodies, which sent Orchikov over the top, out of his mind, and he took out his pistol and threatened the crew. Oh, shit. This is all real, by the way. This actually happened. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is verified? Yes. Okay. So then Vladimir Askenadze, who, if you'll remember, is the one that was testifying to how Orchikov was the one who was like, that's this person, that's that person, don't look at this diary, nothing to see here. Mm-hmm. That's the Vladimir that I'm talking about. Okay. So he had to intervene and essentially tell Orchikov to calm the fuck down and put his gun away. <laughs> yeah, holster that thing. And then after that, the medical expert sort of started to calm down as well, and he reorganized how the bodies should be packed for transportation, and then they were finally airlifted for transportation to Ivdel. Okay. So the, it it was just this insane, out of nowhere blow up. Yeah, just absolutely unnecessarily the, tense. Yeah, where the pilots were like, "We're not taking those bodies on board. Absolutely not." Mm-hmm. And Orchikov is like. Do you even know what we just went through to get these bodies up here? You have to transport them to Ivdel. That's why you're here. They're like, mm-hmm. The pilots are like, no, no, no. We do not want those bodies on board. So it's believed that the pilots were worried that the bodies were poisoned with radiation mm-hmm. from weapons testing done in the area. And for this reason, they did not want them in the aircraft. And they didn't want to transport them. Okay. Until Borshkov had a fucking conniption and was like i'll you're, literally you're pull my gun out and i'll this. fucking shoot you yeah i'm a communist and i'm upset about how you're not following my orders i'm a colonel <laughs> yep <laughs> i'm a communist and yeah. <laughs> yeah so another military weapons theory deals with parachute mine exercises so mm. according to author keith mccluskey There is records of parachute mines being tested by the Soviet military in the area around the time Dyatlov Group was camping on the mountains. Uh Uh-oh. So this theory alleges that the hikers were woken 
by loud explosions. Mm-hmm. They left their campsite and found themselves unable to retrieve their supplies. Some hikers froze to death attempting to endure the bombardment, and the rest were fatally injured by subsequent parachute mine concussions. Uh huh. Parachute mines detonate while in the air rather than a pond striking the Earth's surface, and they produce injuries like those experienced by some of the hikers. So this heavy internal damage with little external trauma. Mm-hmm. The theory coincides with the reported sightings of glowing orange orbs floating um, and falling in the sky in the area that Diet 12 Group was. And the orbs could have been military aircraft or descending parachute mines, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to like the lividity on some of the bodies where it looks like they were moved after death, it's suggested that the s- scene so to speak, was staged by military officials who realized that they were testing these weapons in an area where there were civilians, not realizing they were on this mountain slope in in a place that isn't typically hiked. Mm-hmm. For the area that Dietlov Group was supposed to be going to, it was more standard to follow the river, which they were not doing. They were taking this quote-unquote shortcut up the mountain. Mm -hmm. Those testing these military weapons and whatever would not have realized the civilians were there. And to cover their own ass and for the sake of party conscience and all of that, it was easier to stage this scene. Okay. So um, that is the like military weapons testing theory. And something interesting is that Yuri Yudin believed that his friends in the Dyatlov group were victims of a powerful military test. And he did not specifically mention that it could have been this specifically, the parachute mine exercise. Mm -hmm. But his entire life and him looking at the autopsy of his friends and just the whole scenario, the location of where they were found, all of that, he did truly believe that it was some sort of military test that took his friends out. Yeah, no kidding. Holy shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So that is like the last of the sort of major theories. Um, There is a bunch of other theories as to what could have happened to Dietlove Group. Um, Especially if you go on dietlovepass.com, there's like so many about how it could have been like some sort of animal attack. Dietlove Group could have been mistaken for gulag fugitives their deaths were the result of suicide and mass suicide that they died because of like basically shrooms gone wrong okay they could have entered a time vortex there was arctic hysteria sasha k had a meltdown and you know killed uh, everyone sort of he he could have had a meltdown and it resulted in them like fleeing the Tent, but they ended up dying and perishing and whatever. Okay. Honestly, the Sasha K one is a little bit insane to me. Um, but yeah, there's like do my boy Sasha K like that. There is so many theories, especially on dietlovepass.com. That if you want to go and read through all of them, go ahead. But the ones that we have talked about here are the ones that are the most popular or the most reasonable or likely or whatever. So mm-hmm. those are the ones that um, yeah, I decided to include. Okay. And 
I kind of just ran through them all. Dyson, I'm very interested to just kind of take a seat back here and let you sort of tell me how you're feeling about what I told you and if you agree with any of them, have your own, whatever. I just want to hear your thoughts, okay? Okay. Well, I, I'm in a usual situation because I had a theory completely and now I feel like my theory's shifted slightly and I think you're going to agree with it, okay, but I so, won't steal your thunder on it. No, 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 no. I have no thunder to steal. I'm interested to hear what you had originally believed, what your mm -hmm. theory was, just based on what you had formed by hearing the first two parts. Yeah. And then I'm interested to hear what um, it's changed to based on what you've heard. Okay. So my initial theory, I was taking note of the flashlights put up right, one on top of the tent, and then another on the path that they were getting to between like where they were and some of the bodies. Right. And as well as the stick up in the air, which is like usually. Ski. Or, uh, yeah, sorry. The ski up in the air, which is usually an indication of like this is where we are. Yes. And that's so it's visible in case of an avalanche. And I had initially thought that not necessarily that initially that it was, oh, it was an avalanche. And therefore, that's why this that's why they were found. But I actually thought that one of the bodies being found where the damage to the body was internal rather than external and that was kind of in line with an explosion made me think that something had gone wrong where they were doing preventative avalanche measures which is if anyone knows that they they blow up part of the mountain with like little sticks of dynamite and then that causes an avalanche but it's controlled and my thought was well, this could have been a big fuck up accident by someone in the area who is like government in the area trying to clear the area from avalanche, which could be, you know, one dangerous and two cause a lot of like property damage, all that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, I think that's the case. Um, it would make sense for the organized leaving of the tent. They were kind of getting the feeling that, you know, something's not right. Maybe they were hearing some blasts or something. And then they shuffled down in a bit of a hurry um, you know, whether that was from like a clue of an avalanche or whether it was shock from some explosions. And then, you know, they were found in this, all these weird places because that fuck up would have looked very bad for whoever was conducting the exercise to clear the avalanche. So they were placed there to basically make it look better. Like an accident would be way better than, um, no proper oversight and mm. causing the death of Russian civilians, right? But, um, <laughs> you know, now... So that's now what you I'm, originally thought. It was avalanche prevention, avalanche control. Yeah. Gone wrong. Yeah. But now that I know that there were explosive tests in the area, and as well as these reports that they saw the orbs uh, mm -hmm. in the sky... Many people reported yeah, this. Many people reported Over this. the course of up to like pushing two months yeah and there was a military base in the area mm -hmm. yep a military literally a military like weapons testing area yeah it becomes far more plausible that that, that recorded event uh was the cause rather than an unrecorded controlled avalanche test which i don't know whether they were doing i was just going like you know if i had to pick something that would be it mm -hmm. but now i'm thinking it's much more likely that um there was the, that those tests had accidentally killed them 
And I 100% believe that at that time, the military would pose the bodies and cause so much confusion in the entire recovery and investigation to make sure that they aren't incriminated on this. Mm Mm-hmm. And also, like, probably less that they would be incriminated on and probably more about how that would look to outside countries and even their po- their population that they, they had accidentally killed a few people with their tests. Yeah, and a few people who are essentially just, uh, minus Sasha Kay, they are university students. Mm-hmm. They are people who are doing a very... I'm going to say very standard route because it was minus the fact that they did deviate off of a regular path mm-hmm. just based on, you know, leadership, whatever. But it was very normal for especially university students to be doing these intense treks through the Ural Mountains. Mm-hmm. It was super normal for people to, whether they were competing to be in the master of sports or trying to get higher category levels of tourism, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. To to be the best of the best, to yeah. have this under their belt, it was so normal. So to imagine scaring this community of people who are students doing these hikes or whatever the case is, to have the military scare people into like, oh, I know you might want to like try and get like this category hike under your belt, but uh, you could... Uh, kind of fall in line with these military tests oops yeah sorry it's the cold war (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so it's it could have been like fuck we didn't know that they were so far off path up on the the eastern slope of this mountain and you are kind of in a military testing area the other thing we should add is like i mean like we had that one guy who specifically was saying like this guy's death looks like in line with with an explosion like mm-hmm. just that so you was guys, the medical examiner yeah just so you guys know like it like how how clear some of the signs were like the white or sorry the grayish foam coming from one of their mouths Shankos. yeah that was the person that they were like this is looks like an explosion like that foam is um like that's what happens when you're so severely concussed you like drop on the ground and just start foaming at the mouth. And we were talking about this in part two when I was going over the autopsy results and how um, Shenko was, besides Sasha K, the tallest in the group. Him mm-hmm. and Sasha K were like in in line for who's tallest. Mm-hmm. And the line, the footprints that show people walking away from the tent in a line showed that the tallest person was in the back. Mm-hmm. And if they were all walking downhill to escape the weird lights they saw in the sky or the sounds or whatever, maybe he took the brunt of an explosion of something coming down from the sky because he's in the back. Mm-hmm. And yep. is the is the reason why he's one of the only members that has that pulmonary edema sort of gray foam coming out. Yeah. And, oh, fuck, I forget what I was going to say. Um say something well it just (laughs) it it just made a lot of sense it was funny because like i thought you were gonna mention like as soon as you were talking about like the the um one where he's like oh yeah they had like he had like gray foam i was like that sounds like an explosion yeah yeah yeah. and that was before he even told me like oh yeah the medical examiner said like this is like in line with an explosion Mm -hmm. because of the concussion like and that makes perfect sense because like the whole time i was sitting there and you were talking about 
Well, like, you know, like one of the theories is military exercise. And that's why I didn't rule that in. And I was thinking more along the lines of like, oh, an avalanche is because like if if they were that close to an explosion and it was a military weapon, mm-hmm. you wouldn't find them. They would be in pieces like you'd find a few of them maybe like on the ground and maybe a little concussed. But the others like there'd be at least one or two and they'd be a charred mess. Well, they the explosions happen in, in this case, with the parachute ones, mm-hmm. they don't that's, have what I, that's what I mean. Is like I I didn't take into account okay okay parachute explosions. That yeah, they do erupt. not explode on ground level. They are all in the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which like that was the designed way of killing you would be the concussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I've... the concussive explosion, not the actual blast, fiery blast itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember what I was gonna say. Mm-hmm. What I was going to say is about how in order to go on these treks through the mountains or whatever your planned route is in the relation to being um, a a trek that is more like uh, – in order to, to have like a high category hike or whatever under your belt mm-hmm. to go through these mountains and through these different areas, this whole ordeal – you are supposed to send it to the sports club mm-hmm. and have it be reviewed and approved and all of that. And it sort of makes sense because you could have in Soviet Russia different divisions of government, whatever, working together that says, hey, I got this group of people who want to go on a hike through the Ural Mountains. Their their goal is to reach the peak of uh, Gora Otorten. Mm-hmm. And... Is this okay? Will you be doing military testings during this time? Yeah. Will you be doing weapon testing? Are you okay with moving or shifting or whatever? Because we have this group who's trying to approve a route. Right. It makes so much sense to be yeah. in constant communication. Then you have Dijlov group, who was led by Igor, who did not take proper precautions in getting a route approved and sending the exact trail they planned on taking in sending proper telegrams and updates to people he failed on all of those fronts Mm -hmm. and also deviated from a typical path which would have been to follow lasville river all the way up to get to the peak of goro torten instead Mm -hmm. he was taking shortcuts and cutting through these forests and cutting over onto a different mountain entirely to pass over their ridges and their peaks Mm -hmm. and just had this obscure very loosely planned expedition yeah and i mean like exactly it was just off the chart like they didn't say where they were all this stuff so the military wasn't looking for them Mm -hmm. and like the other thing too is like you know you may be wondering like well why would the bodies be posed why why all this effort for a cover-up and just so you know here's the type of questions that they would be asked as a result of this if they found out that these people were accidentally killed the questions are whether this becomes accidental or intention intentional because if if they were at like post questions started getting grilled on this right if this story got out their questions would be like um did you immediately decide that you were going to be dropping these explosions on them and on purpose because someone spotted them um did you spot them and you know like did you spot them and you decided you were just essentially just going to kill these people before approaching them, figuring out who they were? Um, did you care? Did you know, recognize that these were people 
that were civilians and you did it anyways because they shouldn't be there and you could get away with it. Like they, it was every reason to just be like, uh, no, I'd rather this looks like it never happened and just place them there and say it was an avalanche because I can't have um, this story going out that it makes our, our military look incompetent during a fucking cold war. Um, I don't want to get my ass handed to me as a superior and sent like demoted or embarrassed or anything like that you know, all these kind of things. And it's demoralizing to their cause. Like there's a billion of reasons why they would want to cover this up too. And then having the communist party all up in everyone's business, like we should plan the funeral. And also you should just bury them in Ivdel because like, we should not even have to like go through any of this, you know, party conscience. Like we don't want to have to upset anybody. Whereas if it was a genuine tragedy where these people were just taken out by an avalanche, what can you do? What mm-hmm. can you do? They were taken out by an avalanche. That's so easy to cover up. Mm-hmm. That is so easy to just say, oh, no. You know where they were, right? Hiking in the mountain. Lots Fuck, I'm so sorry. They got taken out by an avalanche. Yeah. But instead, they had to, like, just go about it in this mm-hmm. crazy way where they couldn't even, like, properly recover some of the bodies and they had to, you know. D- 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 yeah. Yeah, closed <laughs> casket stuff and all that. Yeah, it's rough. And and be all up in people's business of like, we should just probably like sweep this away, right? Yeah, if we could have their funeral quick and not in their hometown, so nothing's in writing, that'd be fantastic. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep. So is that so? That's what you think happened as well. I. I uh. I mean, it's so hard to say, but yes, mm-hmm. if it comes down to like choosing straight up a theory that's yeah. uh, out there and what makes the most sense, I am certainly inclined to lean towards the military testing, especially this one of like the parachute mine exercises. Yeah, I got to tell you, I really fell for that one. I'm really on that on that team now. I really think that was it. I do too, just based on the the fact like i cannot ignore the fact that a lot of dietolf group had internal injuries whether it was to their um torso abdomen area their head whatever mm-hmm. but had no soft tissue damage yeah i cannot get over that it does not make sense if you were tumbling through an avalanche which has different debris whether it's like trees that get caught up in the avalanche rocks whatever mm-hmm. you have soft tissue damage it's natural that's normal mm-hmm. none of them had soft tissue damage yeah to these a... in the areas where very extreme damage was had it doesn't make sense yeah that's but that's to have so these highly concussive uh weapons used mm-hmm. makes so much sense that you yeah. have this inherently internal damage to you based on weapons like this. Yeah. I, I can't, I just, I can't get over that. Yeah. That was it for me too. There's other parts of the theory that is like open more to speculation or theories or whatever about how like did military personnel, special forces, whatever actually come in and stage all of these bodies or whatever. Like, I really can't say for that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I can't get over the fact that an autopsy shows no soft tissue damage. And yeah. they had very heavy internal damage. I can't get over it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, I mean, like you could, like you would be looking for, for, you know, like crushed signs from like an avalanche, but you'd expect to see lacerations. Like, yeah, you know, lots of, lots of damage in that way. And it's just, even when it comes down to like Lydia and Sasha K who have the majority of their ribs broken, the, their chest crushed, Mm -hmm. but they have no soft tissue damage. Yeah. What? Yeah. It's ridiculous. If somebody was like physically sitting on you or crushing you or beating you, you would be bruised. You would have skin lacerations. You would have, uh, obvious signs of trauma to your epidermis yeah yeah, your skin yeah you would you show Mm -hmm. they don't have that yeah i can't get over it i can't get over it Mm -hmm. so yes if i have to lean towards something i am totally on the side some sort of weird ass military weapons testing going on that caused internal concussive damage and it had to be covered up yeah and and like we were talking about before, all in line of how Igor Dyatlov was supposed to be exactly giving them their route, exactly telegramming into where they were, because that's a standard process in Soviet Russia where everything is fucking sus and you have to be saying all of these things because you could wander into some weird ass Cold War Soviet Union testing facility. Yeah. Like I don't know. To me, that makes the most sense. And I'm not even somebody who is like super hyper conspiratorial. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm like the opposite of that. I, and the I whole time. absolutely try to find the logical linear path here. Yeah. Try and see what makes the most sense. I don't, I'm not necessarily somebody who feeds into these crazy like Yeti theories or whatever. Yeah. I look for like, no. But I can't get, I just, I can't get over it. I really do firmly, truly, and honestly believe that it was um, something military and Cold War-ish. I really Mm do. Yep. We're in agreement. We're in agreement. Mm Mm-hmm. What are you, what do you think, listener? Where do you fall? Love to know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A mountain pass in the area of the tragedy was later named Dietlov Pass. Uh, even though the incident occurred about 1,700 meters away on the eastern slope of Kola Tsikal, they had to dedicate, you know, an area in some way. Mm-hmm. So on Kola Tsikal, there is a prominent rock outcrop, um, and it about it's located about 500 meters away from the actual site of that final campsite. Okay. And it serves as a memorial to the group. So there's a plaque on this rock outcrop that reads, quote, in memory of those who left and did not return, we named this pass after the Dietlov group. Hmm. In 1999, the Dietlov Foundation was founded with the help of Ural State Technical University, which was formerly UPI. 
The foundation was created to continue investigating the case and to maintain the Dietlov Museum to preserve the memory of the hikers. Mm, okay. And in the Dietlov Museum, guess what is there? Um, I don't know what's there. That little teddy bear that Lugia gave oh, to Yuri Yudin. Oh my god. Yeah. That's beautiful, actually. It's, it's kept in the Dietlov Museum mm-hmm. uh, alongside the group's diaries, a bunch of photos from their cameras, case files, all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. It was kept in the Dietlov Museum. But yeah, that little teddy bear. That's adorable. Regardless of your stance, on what really happened that fateful night in the Ural Mountains, the tragedy at Dietlov Pass left nine promising, talented, and very brave people dead. And their story deserves to be told with dignity and respect, and that cannot be done in one sensational episode. So I hope that everyone enjoyed our first three-part series. Mm-hmm. And while I hope that you were intrigued and entertained and all of that, I hope everyone, you know, learned something new. And if you've heard this case covered before, I hope that you learned something new and you gained a new perspective on the story. That is one of Russia's most enduring mysteries. You did so much research for this story. You pulled it together beautifully. Oh, my God. I actually feel a little bit emotional. (laughs) You did a great job. I, that's it. This is the end. Yeah. Do you realize that I have spent almost a month? Yep. With this case? Yeah. Yeah. Like, we're done. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is the first three-parter, like I've mentioned. And I've spent almost a month with these people, researching mm-hmm. what happened to them these potential theories, this investigation, all of that. And like, it's over. Yeah. Oh my God. It's a really, really bittersweet feeling. Yeah. You did a really good job though. Thank you very much. And it's, I'm certain that anyone who's heard this story before learned not just a little, but a ton of information they'd never heard before. That it was my main objective, really. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, in my little closing statement there, <laughs> it's so easy to talk about this story and really sort of perpetuate that narrative of the sensationalism of it this photo of a yeti the fact that Lydia's tongue was missing and Sasha K's eyes are missing and all of that it's so easy to just kind of Mm -hmm. fall in line with those sort of sensational details where in my opinion at least yeah this story does doesn't need that it's already a very complicated and interesting story you don't have to lean heavily on those sort of sensationalistic um tellings yeah so and your your work with showing the like going into the other photos not just the one where someone was like oh this is a yeti really highlight just how absurd and lazy some of the storytelling was about about like what happened or or theories on this and it really yeah, Not even just, lazy, it's just easy. It's yeah. easy to tell a good story, but can you tell a responsible story? Yeah, and it was it's it's really frustrating because I mean like like you said, like, oh, like the the that someone's tongue was missing or that there's this mysterious photo. Like these were things that 
were not part of the mystery. Like these are explainable, if anything, compared to what is the actual mystery. Right. Right. So it's just like, why are you detracting from it when you don't need to? Like this story does not need the extra sensation yeah. that you're manufacturing. Yeah, that's yeah. how I feel about it. But mm-hmm. it, it is it is just so easy to kind of just keep going to keep to maintain that um, narrative mm-hmm. of like, why would I easily explain away X, Y, and Z when I can perpetuate how creepy it is? Mm-hmm. And like, I didn't want to do that. These are real people. And yeah. for the most part, minus Sasha K, these are kids. Yeah. These are people who have barely entered adulthood, who are amazing. They're amazing people. They're so strong. They're so amazing. Mm-hmm. And they have to have, in my opinion, they just have to and deserve to have a real story told about them. Mm-hmm. I was not familiar with a lot of details that I found out while researching this case. I've heard many renditions of Diet Love pass uh heard quite a few different like true crime podcast youtubers tell this mm-hmm. but mention uh, very little of what i did yeah. i never heard about the, f- the funerals i didn't hear you know logical or reasonable explanations for a few things i didn't hear about the journey leading up to them actually hiking mm-hmm and I just thought it was a good opportunity to, I'm going to say it again, do some like responsible storytelling. So Yeah, well, I appreciate it because I had heard nothing about the Diet to Love Pass <laughs> at all um, other than like it was a bunch of hikers and there was a mystery around, you know, how they were found. That was actually the extent of what I understood about it. So super appreciative <laughs> of having this as my first introduction. And it was the comprehensive guide. And not the, uh, uh, you know, Sparks Note version for dummies. Right. So I appreciate it. Did you enjoy it? Oh, I loved it. it Good. Fantastic. And congratulations on getting past all the very complex Russian names. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that was, uh, that was just all part of it. That was all part of the fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it, though. Mm-hmm. And Summer, you're the one that recommended this. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. She's probably like, this is not what I asked for. I just wanted a quick and easy Dutch love pass. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting and like I was like, minutes. you're a fucking three-parter. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, thank you, Summer, for your suggestion. I want to I wanna hear all the suggestions. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I, I just, that's it. Yeah. This is done. It's a three-part episode. It's our first one. It's... I just don't even know what to say. It's going to be really weird to move on from this because I literally, it's been like a month of me just fucking balls deep in <laughs> Diet Love Pass. Well, soon you'll get a bit of a break and we've got Paige's stuff coming up. you got mine coming up and uh, you can kick your feet back for a little while. Uh, there's still four episodes until you come up. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying soon. <laughs> it's coming. You know, look forward to it. All right. I appreciate your positivity anyway. Yeah. I'd like to hear uh, what you guys thought. This is the first three-part series, especially if you've been like a long-term listener. What'd you think? And I also want to know what you, what you, what you, uh, 
Do you agree with any of the theories I said? Did you have a chance to go on to dieswolfpass.com and see all of the other, you know, random ass theories? Do you have your own theory? That would be fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Do you have your have you listened intently to the three part series and feel like, hey, you did not talk about the one theory I have, which is, you know, whatever it is. I'd like to hear it. Mm-hmm. Me too. You can tell it to us uh, through Instagram, Dark Adaptation Podcast. Also on Instagram, there will be photos related to this case that you can check out. And uh, we do that for all the cases that we cover. And while you're there, that's where you can send us case suggestions. You can send us whatever your theory is related to this case. And, you know, I just hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm going to have to really kind of decompress and get out of the headspace of Dodge Love. Because... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel really weird right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you for listening. Yeah. The, uh, I'm, love you guys, but there's not going to be another three-parter for a hot minute, okay? <laughs> I'm going to have to deal with this. I'm going to have to talk to my therapist. Okay. Guess what? What? Next week, uh, I don't know what it's going to be. But it'll be something a, a little bit different, a little bit maybe lighter, because i got to decompress. So... Until then, we'll catch you on the dark side. Bye. No! <laughs>